pamphlet called The Story that I encourage you to pick up, and this is simply the gospel. Uh, I've shared this before, the creation, the fall, the redemption, restoration, and it's a great piece that you can use also to invite people. It has our Easter service times on it, so I encourage you to pick that up. There are plenty of them. You can take as many as you like. We're talking about miracles today as we continue on our series, miracles and the element of faith. Oswald Chambers gives the best definition of faith that I've ever heard. And matter of fact, it's the one that I use, and it's one that has impacted my life in how I go about my life and how I see my faith. And it's this. Faith is doing everything that you honestly and ethically can and trusting the rest to God. Faith is doing everything that you honestly and ethically can and trusting the rest to God. That's what faith is. It's not doing nothing, but it's not trying to manip- manipulate. It's not trying to control. It's not trying uh, to go over in an unethical or an unhonest manner. It's trusting God with what you cannot do. And that's what we're going to see today as we look at our passage of Scripture. Earlier, you saw the dedication of Asher Grumball. And the story on that is Asher was born... Uh, in heart failure with trisomy 18. And as a pastor, I've never seen a child live through that, just my personal experience, particularly boys. And he also has a congenital heart defect. But you know, here's the great news. Today, he's here. He's no longer in heart failure. He's no longer in respiratory failure. That's Asher today. Even though the doctors, many of the doctors and many of the medical community encouraged him to terminate them to terminate that cancer, they have trusted through. And you know what? His future is still in the palm of God's hand. But I love that story because it is a picture of faith. It is a miracle, if you would like to call that, because that was not what the the medical community told him. Uh, They didn't believe he would ever leave the hospital, but he's here today. How does that happen? Why does that happen Well, that's a great question. Today, we're going to see two individuals with two different types of faith. The first one we'll see is a woman, a woman who probably didn't know her faith real well, a woman who didn't probably know a lot, a woman who was poor, a woman who was alone. She was seeking Jesus. I call it seeker faith, beginner faith. And seeker faith is when you recognize your need, your condition, and uh, you, you learn and you seek and you step out in faith and you receive the grace of God. That's kind of that beginner faith, that seeker faith. But then we'll see another type of faith. I call this mature faith. And this is Jairus. He's the synagogue ruler. And Jairus is forced, and sometimes we're forced, into trusting the timing of God, although many times we don't. Mature faith will trust in the timing of God's grace and God's sovereignty that he is ultimately in control and God's resurrection of our lives and the lives of others. And when I say resurrection, moving from no hope to hope, from no life to life. Maybe that's you today. And if it is, we're going to have a time of prayer at the end of this service because we believe that our God 
is the healer. Let's look at this story beginning in Mark chapter 5. This is the continuation of Mark chapter 5 that we looked at last week, beginning with the 21st verse. And the Bible says, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd came and gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. The Bible says that Jairus is a synagogue ruler. It's the equivalency of the senior elder, of the leader of that congregation. He has to be a righteous and blameless man. He has to be a man that knows his religion, knows his faith, and he also is a man respected. He's probably a man who's been successful, probably a man who's well-to-do. And he comes to Jesus asking this request. And when he sees Jesus, he falls at his feet in a spirit of worship. This honorable man, this dignified man, implores, he begs him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Now this, the Greek that's used here for death is not just, she's, she's in bad shape. It's that she is dying. She is about to die. This is terminal. That's what it's conveying. My daughter is terminal. She is about to die, Master. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. We see this expression of laying hands on people throughout the Scripture. Particularly in the Old Testament, we see that it was a conferment of blessing or an anointing, so to speak, of a new position or a new opportunity or a new title. Uh, Hands would be laid upon the person and then uh, they would be blessed and then they would go out to perform whatever task they were supposed to perform. Sometimes uh, we see the, the, the prophets placing hands upon people for the purpose of healing. We see in James chapter 5, as Matt read earlier, uh, about calling the leaders of the church together and to place their hands upon people. It's used for blessing, but it's also uh, part of the picture of the Spirit of God, and he asks us to do that, just like we do communion and baptism, to place hands upon people and pray for their healing. And so Jairus knows this, and Jairus believes that a holy man of God, if he lays his hand, if he places his hands upon his daughter, that she can be healed. And Jairus probably even believes, he knows the scriptures, that Jesus is probably the Messiah. He's the one, and he has the power to heal. And so he asks Jesus to come and do this for his precious little girl. And he went with him. And Jesus says yes, and he goes with him. And a great crowd is following them. They want to see. They've, seen what, they've heard what Jairus has said, and they're all around him. And the Bible continues, and it says, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, here is a woman. The Bible is going to tell us that she doesn't have any money. She spent everything that she has. Not to mention in this culture, uh, women are not given the same status or rights. And not only that, she is unclean because of her issue of blood, because of her condition. So she's not allowed to come in the temple. She's not allowed to touch those who are clean. And the Bible says, and she suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports of Jesus. She had heard the stories. She had probably heard even as a little girl that the Messiah one day would come. And she has hope 
that maybe this is it. Maybe she's read scripture. Maybe she's heard. Maybe someone's told her. She's heard the reports about Jesus and came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Now, why does she do that? Why does she come up from behind? Because if people see her, they see her face, they immediately know you're unclean. You're not even supposed to be in front of us, much less you can't you can't touch the Messiah. You can't touch at least one that we regard to be holy. So she comes from the back. And as she comes from the back, she reaches up and she grabs the hem of his garment. Now, why does she do that? Why does she grab the hem of his garment? Well, uh, we don't have time to go back into all all the different apparel that, that Jews wore during that time. But let me give you the short answer. Uh, many of the Jewish holy men would have, uh, basically we'll call it a monogram, on their, on their uh, tassels that would be on the corner of their garments, they would have a tassel that kind of identified who they were and what they were. It was almost like a monogram today. And it was called a wing. That was kind of the language that was used in, in the Semitic language as, as it developed. And we see, in a, as a matter of fact, if you go back to um, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, it talks about how the Messiah would have healing in his wings. She's probably heard this scripture, probably heard this, and she thought, if I can just grab the wing, the tassel of the Messiah, then I can be healed. And so in her potentially bad theology, she thinks, if I can just touch his tassel. And so that's what she does. She comes up from the back where no one would possibly have attention on her. They would all have their attention on Christ. And she reaches down and she grabs the tassel, the wing of the Messiah. And the Bible says this, for she said, if I can touch his garment, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Mark says, immediately. Now, we know that's not always how healing works. Sometimes God heals immediately. Last week, uh, there was a lady who stood, and she was dealing with a, with a huge issue in her life. And she said, uh, she wrote me this week and said, I want you to know, as I stood, and as you prayed, and as people placed hands on me, I was immediately healed. And a huge, huge deal. Sometimes God immediately does that. But a lot of times he gradually heals. It's over the process of time. He works with and through doctors and medication to bring about healing. And sometimes he ultimately heals. What do I mean by that? Is that they, their body ceases to work. And for the believer, they go to be with Christ, and they are ultimately and completely healed. As each and every one of us as believers one day will be ultimately healed. So God always heals. It's a matter of how and when for the believer in Christ Jesus. This woman was immediately healed. And in verse 30, as we continue, we see, And Jesus, perceiving in him that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. Now, put yourself in the place of Jairus. Your daughter, you know, is critically ill. Matter of fact, it's not just critical, it's terminal, it's acute. She is going to die. 
and people are surrounding them. And Jesus stops on his way and says, who touched my clothes? Who touched my garments? Don't you know Jairus is dying inside? Jesus, come on. But Jesus stops. Jesus is on his timetable. Often we get so frustrated with him. Jesus, what about now? Have you forgotten me? God, I need it now. And God is maturing us. And we see what happened here. But the woman, knowing what had happened, came in fear and trembling and fell down to him and told him the whole truth. She's just received physical healing. But Jesus is demanding that she show herself. She's been in the background. She's been hiding. But Jesus said, I want you to come forth. And Jesus is making this a testimony to all who see. He's making it a testimony to the woman, and he's making it a testimony to us so that she will understand why she was healed. Not because she superstitiously just grabbed the hem of the garment of a holy man, but he said, daughter, your faith. Your faith, you believed in who I was, and you believed I had the power. It's not because you touched my garment has made you well. As a matter of fact, your translation might say, has saved you. Same word is used. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He takes this moment to, for people to understand that it is faith through him that saves them and heals them. Meanwhile, we continue with our story. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. I know what you've heard is terminal. I know what you've heard is that's the end. But I don't want you to fear. I want you to believe. And the Bible says, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. People were wailing and weeping loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Well, we know that the child is dead, at least by our definition of dead. The body has ceased to live. But Jesus knows something that they don't, and often something that we forget. That apart from the body is to be alive in Christ Jesus, to be alive in the presence of an almighty God. So the body has ceased to work. But here's what Jesus knows, that one day there will be a resurrection. And while your spirit is alive today, when the resurrection comes, your body will be reunited with your spirit, and you will be made perfectly as you have never been in your life, just like it was in the Garden of Eden, even better. God will recreate the heavens and the earth, and we will live a life in completeness of joy, in perfect health, and in perfect harmony, and in perfect peace. Jesus knows this, but they don't understand. So he says, this child is not dead, but she's sleeping And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him. He went in to the child and taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum. Talitha. This is Aramaic. It's the language that Jesus uh, most likely spoke 
in his day-to-day language. He, he certainly knew Hebrew and probably Greek as well, but he spoke in Aramaic, which is a hybrid form of Hebrew. It's kind of the street language. Uh, and Jesus is speaking in this language, and he says, Talitha. Now, it means little girl, but the nuance is more significant than that. It's a term of endearment. It's a term like, sweetheart, honey. And then he says, kuma. And it means arise. He reaches out and touches her and says, honey, sweetheart, arise. Hey, for some of you, your loved ones, your, your daughters, your son, your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister. Can I tell you, when they departed, for those who were in Christ Jesus, that moment, you know what Jesus said? Honey, son, it's time to rise. It's time to get up. And for the believers in Christ Jesus, that's going to be us one day. One day we're going to die. And Jesus is going to say, time to get up. I love it. This is the God that we serve. Talitha kum. I believe that God still heals today. Sometimes immediately. Sometimes gradually. Sometimes ultimately. And through the resurrection, he still resurrects lives. He still resurrects marriages. He still resurrects relationships. He still resurrects those who've been given no hope. I want you to see a story that's true. One of our men here, our first elder, Ed Brock, he and his wife are here every Sunday. I want you to see their story. And then we're going to have a time of prayer and a time of reading Scripture, a time of healing. So I want to invite you to ask God to speak to you as you watch this. Turn your attention to the screen.